Lord God, we thank you. Lord, Lord, we praise you. We thank you that we can come into your church this morning and lift you up. Lord God, we thank you for everything you're doing in our lives, in our church, Lord, our communities, our city and our nation. Uh, Lord God, we give you all the glory. And uh, Lord, we praise you this morning. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. How are we doing, church? Who's, uh, who's happy? Who's sad? Oh, they don't want to put up their hands. We know who they are. If you see Ashley Muller who runs Intermediates, just rub it in a bit. Just please. Please. Or if you know him, you know why. But anyway, you can take a seat. Welcome to church. I'm sure that will be the first of many rugby-related sentences this morning. Hey, we just want to welcome you. If this is your first time along to Activate Church, welcome to you. Now, um, at the back, we have some awesome people. They're in green shirts, and they'll point their way uh, to the new people's area. And you'll get a small little gift that has got a coffee voucher and some chocolate in there. And that's just a chance for us to get to know you better. And so if this is your first or second time, or if you want to be connected into the church, you've been coming for a while, but you haven't handed over any details for us to get in contact with you, that's a great way to do that also. Um, birthdays and anniversaries. Who wants chocolate? Yo, so if it's been your birthday or anniversary, I'd love you to join with me in the middle. Do we have anyone this morning? There's always that first one. Any? Excellent. Down the back, why don't you come down? Fantastic. Excellent. Church, why don't you stand and uh, we're going to pray together. Father, thank you for your family. We declare blessing, health, favour, prosperity and protection over them this year. Activate your love and goodness through each one. In Jesus' name, Amen. Excellent. Fantastic. So uh, who was here last Sunday morning? We've got a few hands. I just want to say thank you so much for, uh, it was such a great day. And uh, so many stories of just, I, even even if it wasn't a blessing for a community, it was a blessing for us as a church, I guess, just to hang out. But it was such a huge uh, blessing. I got to hang out with a whole lot of young adults and we did an alleyway. And uh, But I'm sure you've got heaps of stories. So if you were... If you joined in on that, thank you so much for participating. And, and there'll definitely be a next one, I am sure. And so you can wear your old South African tops then. Um, <laughs> uh, Pastor Martin still is here next weekend uh, at all of the services. So it's going to be really, really good. So make sure you're here. So there'll be the 9, the 10.30 and the 6 p.m. Uh, and that's going to be awesome. Uh, every time he comes to our church, he brings just an awesome word that talks where we're at and great teaching. So make sure you're there and invite someone as well. Uh, he's a great, great person to invite someone to come here. And lastly, the light party. Who's heard of the light party before? It's quite a few hands. Light Party is one of, I guess, one of our major events through the year where we impact the community in quite of a unique way, I guess. We put on a party for kids, which is an alternative to Halloween. And so last year, I think we had like 300 plus kids and 100 plus adults. And uh, there's heaps of ways that you can volunteer to help out. 
And uh, so even if it's in the parents' lounge or if it's in here, uh, we deck it out with a whole lot of games. It's a lot of fun, but we need as many volunteers as we can to interact with people um, because it's not so much about just running games, but it's about being able to have quality uh, conversations, make connections with the community. So the more people we have to do that, the better. So how you get involved with that, I think there's a shine up sheet at the hub. Also talk to Ashley Bennett and Alina. And so, uh, who's keen on getting involved in that? Yo, man, so many hands went up. That's awesome. Awesome. Uh, Brenzi, you're going to come forward and do the reading for us of Psalm 34. I've got a bit of green on today. <laughs> um, I'm reading my, one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 34. In praise of God's goodness, I will always thank the Lord. I will never stop praising Him. I will praise Him for what He has done. May all who are oppressed listen and be glad. Proclaim with me the Lord's goodness and greatness. Let us praise His name together. I prayed to the Lord and He answered me. He freed me from all my troubles. The oppressed look at Him and are glad. They will never be disappointed. The helpless call to Him and He answers them. He saves them from all their troubles. His angel guards those who obey the Lord and rescues them from all the danger. Find out for yourself Taste and see how good the Lord is. Happy are those who find safety with Him. Obey the Lord, all His people. Those who obey Him have all they need. Even lions go hungry for lack of food, but those who obey the Lord lack nothing they need. They need nothing. Come, my young friends, and listen to me, and I will teach you how to honor the Lord. Do you like to enjoy life? Do you want long life and happiness? Then hold back from speaking evil and from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Strive for peace with all your heart. The Lord watches over the righteous and listens to their cries, but He opposes those who do evil, so that when they die, they are soon forgotten. The righteous call to the Lord and He listens. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to them who are discouraged. He saves those who have lost all hope. The good man suffers many troubles, but the Lord saves him from them all. The Lord preserves him completely. Not one of his bones is even broken. Evil will kill the wicked. Those who hate the righteous will be punished. The Lord will save His people. Those who go to Him for protection will be spared. To reflect on those verses, then we'll continue on with our worship.
Thank you, Father God, for your words. Thank you for your promises. Thank you, Father God, that you are with us. Lord, helping us to do your will, Father. Thank you that we're not alone. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand as we continue to worship. Wonderful 
stand in your presence. Lord, knowing no matter what happens, no matter how it happens, that you are in control. Father, we thank you for that declaration from that wonderful hymn writer, Horatio Stafford, who, Lord, went through incredible tragedy but declared it is well, it is well with my soul. Father, thank you for the comfort. Thank you for your presence. That, Lord, thousands, millions of people have, Lord, sung those words. It is well. It is well. Father, thank you we can place our trust in you, a God who is unchangeable, a God who is immovable, a God who is absolutely for us and has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, Lord, we can declare those words. It is well. It is well. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't we sing that chorus one more time? When peace like a river attendeth my so much team. Take a seat church. Well great to see you. You doing well? This is a little bit, sounds very loud to me Reese. is it okay? It's all okay. Well that's good. If Reese says it's okay, it's okay. Well 
I want to say, as Luke said, a huge thank you to those that were involved in last weekend's Muckin Day, going out into our community, into the schools, washing schools, gardening, painting alleyways, baking scones, making uh, garden boxes, letter boxes. Fantastic. And the feedback that we've received from our community, from the church, from the community, has absolutely been wonderful. And so thank you. And I know many people have enjoyed the community of um, meeting and connecting with one another in the church. Well, this morning I'm carrying on with the theme on the book of Philippians. So you may remember um, several weeks ago, um, time clicks on, um, where we've been looking at the book of Philippians. And I just want to give a brief recap, and then we're going to look from verse 20 on to the end of the chapter. So I'm aiming to complete chapter 1 today. And uh, the great thing about going through a portion of Scripture is that you are forced to preach or teach about things that normally you wouldn't want to. And today there's some portion of the Scripture that I don't really want to talk about because it's not particularly comfortable. But there it is, and there is what we're going to look at. So we're going to find more about that as we go through. So as I mentioned on the last couple of times, or in fact, uh, two times ago, Philippians is described as the most upbeat and positive book in all of the Bible. It's positive, it's personal, it's practical, and it deals with the richness of relationships and the power of partnerships, particularly with the Apostle Paul and the church at Philippi. And in many ways, the lessons that Paul teaches the church at Philippi and the way that they express themselves is what I long for Activate Church to learn and do. I really, really do. This church in Philippi is a model church. And I think we're on a good record, but there's things, a good track, but there's things that we can learn to take us into the fullness of what God has for us. And the book of Philippians is a great place to look at that. The thing about the, uh, the things in Philippines is that when we go through them, you'll go, I know that. I know that. So it's not so much that it's new. And the issue is not, do we know this stuff or not? The real issue is, and importantly, do I apply this stuff consistently? That's the key. So we're going to do a little bit of an overview for those of you that missed from a historical point of view. So the church in Philippi was the first church that the Apostle Paul planted in, who can remember? In Europe. So very, very significant. So the gospel moves northwest out of Israel up into modern-day Turkey and then crosses over into modern-day Greece and through into Italy. So we've got a bit of a map there. Is that going to come up? It's coming. It's coming. Here it comes. Okay, next slide. There it is. There is the map of Turkey, modern-day Turkey. It was known as Asia Minor. Now, when I had the map up there last time, I had Philippi and I had Gallipoli. I didn't have Ephesus or Colosse. So Pastor Sheridan is uh, talking about Ephesus. So that's where it's based and also Colosse. So uh, next slide, thanks. That's how it looks today. Just a city, a small city in ruins. And uh, we also um, found that Paul did three important missionary trips. And on a second one, he went to Philippi. And he preached there. And um, as he preached with his partner Silas, they caused a bit of a stir in the city. 
And they found themselves in a jail, and at midnight they were singing um, praises and psalms to God, it says in Acts chapter 16, and guess what broke out? An earthquake. It was a massive earthquake. All the, um, the prisoners there, their uh, prison doors opened wide, their shackles were undone, and the jailer, who was afraid that he was going to lose his life because the prisoners escaped, had a sword to his throat, and Paul yells out, don't kill yourself, we're all here. Because of that, the jailer gave his life to the Lord. Paul also leads another woman to the Lord, and here is the church started in around AD 50 to 52, the church at Philippi. It's amazing. What's incredible about, and I didn't say this last time, is that this area of Philippi in northern Greece is known to have a lot of earthquakes. And in 619 AD, so it was a long time ago, it had another massive earthquake that completely obliterated the city of uh, Philippi. And it really wasn't occupied after that time. And even in 1963, so it's about 50 years ago, close by there was another big earthquake there which killed over 4,000 people. So this area has a lot of seismic um, activity. Anyway, Paul um, is preaching there around AD 50, 52. The church is planted. He carries on his trips and he finds himself in prison in Rome 10 years later. And here he is in prison wanting to preach and all he is finding himself in shackles. And he thinks, what else can I do? I'm going to write some letters to my friends. So he pens this letter which we're looking at today, to the people in Philippi around AD 60, 62. And there was a guy that comes and visits him all the way from Philippi who travels 1,400 kilometers. His name is Epaphroditus. He crosses sea, he crosses deserts, he's on donkeys, he's on camels. It almost kills him, but he gets to Rome. He knocks on the door and he has a special gift for Paul it's a gift of money. It's a gift of financial resources so Paul can carry on and do the work of the ministry. And Paul writes this letter and he says to his mate Epaphroditus, I want you to go back to the church in Philippi, go through all those um, deserts on donkeys and camels and over rivers and seas and give them this letter, this letter of thanks, this letter of encouragement. And this letter, primary is a letter about how to think right. That's what Paul is saying. I want to teach the people at Philippi to think right, because if they think right, they'll feel right, and if they feel right, they can then live right. Now, that's easy to say. I know, believe it or not, I'm, I'm over 50. Would you, would you believe that? Yeah. People look at my wife with my, my children and go, are you sisters? They never say to my girls and I, are you brothers and sisters? I just never go there. But I find this stuff about learning to think right, man, it can be a challenge. It doesn't come easily. It's slow and it's a struggle. And Paul certainly is, is quick to point this out. So we looked in Philippians uh, 3 to 5 and he says, every time I think of you, do you remember I sung to you last time? Was that good, Gloria? I sung. Guess what? I'm not going to do it again. Do you know what? Because my voice coach said it was a bit pitchy. Thank you, Owen. I was expecting to have an interview with Simon Cowell, but I just didn't go there. So I'm not going to sing to you, but, but Paul says this, every time I think of you, I give thanks. 
Here's what Paul is saying. If you want to think right, be grateful for the people in your life. Be grateful for them. Give thanks for your wife, for your husband, for your kids, for your workmates. Then Paul goes on, I pray with you for joy. If you want to pray for people, pray with them for joy. You try praying for somebody you don't like with a really bad attitude. It doesn't work. But if you decide, I'm going to pray for this person with joy, you won't have a bad attitude regarding them for very long. Then Paul goes on to the third thing, develop partnerships with one another and with Jesus. And be this word partnership, as I said last time, is a very rich word to be on the same page. To be committed as one. Last weekend was a fantastic example of the church being on one page. Out there in our community, delivering the goodness of God. I rejoice at that and I go, thank you for the church of Philippi. Paul could, could call us the church of Philippi. We're on one page doing what he wants us to do. And then the next set of uh, verses, Paul talks about this is how you think. Be grateful, pray with joy, be partners. And then he says, as you develop that way of thinking and living, and that takes a lot of practice, this is how you feel. Paul says, I feel you have a special place in my heart. I feel a special favor for you. And I feel a special affection for you. Isn't that wonderful? A special place, a special favor a special affection. So I thought, wouldn't it be good if I shared some of my affection for you? What do you think? Would you like to hear some of that? Because I don't think I've expressed it very often. So I thought, I'm going to take this opportunity to express how I feel about you. So this is what I think. This is what I feel. This is how I pray for you. I think you're great. I really, really do. I admire your tenacity and I admire your faithfulness. I value your investment into this place and I value your investment with Jesus himself. I value the investment you place into your families to raise godly children. Your investment into the workplaces and our community. And I love you guys. And I pray God's very best for you and your children. That's how I feel. There's a bit of affection. And that's what Paul was expressing to the church of Philippi. So he says all of this stuff. He focuses on the church, and now we're going to go into verse 20, where he turns the focus onto himself. So he's going, Lord, going to the church, this is all about you guys, now this is about me. And I want you to learn something about me. So he says, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but I will continue to be bold for Christ as I've been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. So Paul is saying three key things about himself. He lives with expectation. I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed. I will, secondly, I will continue to be bold. He's a person of courage. A person of courage. 
If we can go to the next slide, thanks. And I want to encourage us to be people who develop a mindset of expectation. Hope is a very, very powerful thing. Just like hopelessness is a powerful thing. Hope will fire you up like a jet engine, get you out of bed, full of energy, full of gusto, looking forward with expectation for what's going to happen today, next week, next month, the years ahead, even into eternity. Hope fires us up for the future. And God wants us to be a people that are full of hope. Philippians 3.20 says, But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We are eagerly waiting for him to return as our saviour. There was um, a minister and his wife who had decided to teach their three-year-old son or allow their three-year-old son to leave a message on their telephone. And this is what the story goes like. The minister and his wife decided to let their three-year-old son record a message for their home answering machine, their telephone machine. The rehearsals went smoothly. Mummy and Daddy can't come to the phone right now. If you leave your name, phone number, and a brief message, they'll get back to you as soon as possible. Dad then pressed the record button, and the son said, Mummy and Daddy can't come to the phone right now. If you leave your name, phone number, and a brief message, they'll get back to you as soon as Jesus comes. Living with a sense of expectation, <laughs> that could be a long time, couldn't it? <laughs> We're waiting for the call. <laughs> Living with a sense of expectation is very, very important for you and I. Jesus said, or the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. These are eternal characteristics we know these things now, and we will know them for eternity. And when we're in the presence of the Lord, love, faith, and hope are exist and will continue to be developed in our lives. And so if you think faith is just a matter of things on earth now, no, it's a thing for heaven. If you think hope is just a thing for now, no, it is for heaven also. And so I had a, uh, an interesting conversation with the Lord about 18 months ago, and we're going backwards and forwards, and I felt the Lord say to me, Ray, you do not have enough hope. Now, I didn't feel condemned, but I felt, wow, I've got to do some work, develop a sense of greater expectation. And one of the things about expectation, people will live to the level of expectation you set. My daughter said something to me uh, very interesting years ago. She said, Dad, the reason why I did it well at school is because you expected me to. I said, really? Did you really feel that I expected you to do well at school? She said, I sure did. Now, I wasn't that conscious of it, but in reflection, I thought, yeah, I did expect her to do well. And so she rose to the expectation. And so our expectation creates a, value, a vacuum for people to come into. And one of the things about expectation, are people, as you know, are very keen to say, well, well some people, are keen to say, the Lord is going to return on such and such a date. In fact, there's a famous group of people who said the Lord is going to return on the 18th of August, 1888. And they went up on the cell waiting for the Lord to return, and they looked at their clocks, stroke midnight, 
And the leader said, oh, sorry, we, we got the day wrong. It's, it's out by a week. Next week, on the 15th of the August, 1888, the Lord will come back. And, of course, the 15th of the 8th, 1888, turns up. And there they are. So no man knows the date. No man knows the hour when Jesus returned, Jesus said. But one thing Jesus expects of us, one thing the Apostle Paul is saying, develop an eagerness, a longing to see Jesus return. That is the greatest hope you can have in your mind and in your spirit. And if you carry that hope, that expectation, I don't know when the Lord is coming, but I am so longing for his coming, that will create hope and expectation that will be an umbrella for every other hope and expectation in your life. And I think that is something that God really wants us to develop. Paul goes on and says, I will be bold. He embraces courage. Courage to care. Courage to reach out. Courage to share the gospel. Courage to face boldness. And in verse 21 he says, For me, living means living for Christ, and dying is even better. Paul is motivated to bring honor to Jesus. When I read that verse, I go, oh my goodness, who do I live for? What am I living for? It's a question I want to ask you. Who are you living for? What are you living for this morning? Paul said, I live for Christ. I live to glorify God in everything I do, in everything I say. I live to glorify God. It's such a simple, profound, powerful declaration. My life is for Christ. Everything I say, everything I do, everything I want to be is for Jesus. That's who the Apostle Paul says I am. The Apostle Paul is saying that's who we should be. That's my identity. That's where we live, in this place, that we're living for the glory of Christ. And here's the thing which makes it so much better than living for, I'm going to be living um, to accumulate wealth, or I'm going to live to um, accumulate fame. When you die, it's all lost. But when you live for Christ, when you die, it's all gain. And that is the thing that Paul is saying, we have a lot to gain by living for Jesus. The thing of living a life of honor for Jesus looks different from person to person. The way it looks for me is going to be different for the way that it looks for you. But our hearts and our lives can be all share this common thing. I am going to live for the honor of Jesus. And so I want to really encourage you this morning, as you go, as you leave, saying, I am determined to live for the honor of Jesus. I'm going to live for his glory. No matter whether I'm in the office, whether I'm in the factory, whether I'm in the hospital, whether I'm in the gym, whether I'm at home, I'm living for the glory of God. Whenever, wherever, be like Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Absolutely awesome. Let's move to uh, verse 27. Next slide, thanks. Um, We'll go over a couple of slides here, thanks. Next one. This is what Paul, we're going to end on this. And uh, 
Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the the good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Next slide. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. I was speaking with Wendy about this, for you have been given the privilege, so not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. And uh, I thought, the privilege of suffering? I don't really want to talk about that. There could be a lot of other things I could talk about, but I don't really want to talk about suffering. Because suffering is never pleasant. But here's the thing. What Paul is saying, he says, above all, live as citizens of heaven. He's really laying the platform. If you want to know why you can call it a privilege to trust God and a privilege to suffer, you've got to understand perspective. And here's the perspective. Life is a game of two halves. We talk about rugby being a game of two halves. Life is a game of two halves. These two halves are of unequal time. The first half is what we play out on earth. The second half is where we play out where we are in eternity. In the presence of God or out of the presence of God. That's the second half. And God says, or or Paul is saying, to live well in this life so you can live well for the second half, you've got to live with the perspective of living as a citizen of heaven. Living that right now, living with heavenly perspectives or heavenly values, not worldly values. And so Paul invites us, this is really, really important way to think. Think from a heavenly perspective not an earthly perspective, because the way that you see it will be the way that you live it. And if you live with a view from heaven, you'll live it very differently than a view from earth. And what makes the view from heaven very different from the view from earth? It's this thing called faith. I believe. I believe. The privilege of trust. From Genesis to revelations. You can sum it all up. God is saying one thing. Trust me. Trust me. When it doesn't look as though it's going well, trust me. When things are going well, trust me. Jesus said in John 14.1, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. You know, it's strange to call suffering a privilege. Maybe it's even a little bit strange to call trusting the Lord a privilege. But um, let me share this with you. I had the privilege of going and watching a game of rugby between the Chiefs and the Crusaders uh, here in Hamilton. And I was invited to go to the corporate box. First time I've ever been there. I thought, this is an awesome privilege. I went into the corporate box. There was food for Africa. There was beautiful and cozy and warm. I didn't have to queue for, for hot dogs or for chips or anything like that. There was just no end to the food. I had a perfect seat. I could sit over 
and, and just watch this game of rugby unfold. It was a real privileged position to be in, except we lost the game. So that wasn't so good. But it was a privilege, an absolute privilege. Jesus says, or Paul says, it's a privilege to trust God. Why is it a privilege to trust him? There's many, many reasons. One of them, the benefit of peace. Trust in me and know the peace of God. Trust in the Lord and be secure. These are privileges for believers. Trust in me, knowing that God is good. Trust me. Trust me. Jesus is amazed throughout all this, when I look at the Gospels, at only one thing, faith. He's not impressed by how wealthy people are, how gifted people are, but he is amazed at one thing, how much faith, belief, trust a person carries. You know the story well in Matthew 8 when Jesus is um, talking with the centurion. And the centurion says, my servant is ill. And Jesus says, I'll come with you. And the centurion says, you don't have to come. You just need to speak the word. If you say he'll be well, I believe. I'm a man under authority. I say to this one, go, and he goes. I say to this one, come, and he comes. All you need to do is speak the word. This is the faith This is the trust that the centurion... And Jesus goes, I have not seen such great faith in all of Israel. He's not a Jew. He's a soldier. And Jesus marvels at his faith. He trusts God. Equally, Jesus is amazed at people's unbelief. In Mark chapter 6, verse 6, where Jesus returns to Nazareth, his hometown... And and the scripture says he couldn't do many miracles. Why? Because they didn't believe. And in Mark 6 verse 6, he says he was amazed at their unbelief. So Jesus on one side is absolutely amazed at the centurion's faith. He's absolutely amazed at the unbelief of people in Nazareth. It's the only thing that really impresses Jesus is faith. That's what he's looking for, this trust. And every day, people are exercising faith. We got up and came to church in our cars. We're exercising faith that people keep to the same side of the road. When we go to the supermarket and buy bananas and oranges and fruit, we're exercising faith that nobody's tampered with those items. When we go to the petrol station and we buy a litre of gas, we are acting in faith that when they say that we've purchased a leader, that's exactly what we have purchased. When we go to the doctor and the doctor says you need an operation, we're exercising faith. And when the anesthesist puts us to sleep, we're ex- exercising faith that he'll wake us up at the right time, not halfway during the operation. And that would be really, really painful. Paul calls it an absolute privilege to trust God. It's a privilege, church, to put our faith and the creator of heaven and earth. It's a privilege. And we need to treat it as such. And we need to honor it. It's a privilege to carry faith. And Jesus wants us to grow faith. It's an incredible privilege. And then Paul goes on to say, 
It's a privilege to suffer. I don't know about you, but I, I don't like suffering. It's not pleasant. It's not nice. But your attitude towards it is really, really important. When I was in Palmerston North, years and years ago, as an elder in the church there, there was a woman, a lovely lady, whose son, who was about 18 or 19, got into trouble with the police. And I, I, I was absolutely surprised at the events that unfolded here. He broke into somebody's house, he got into trouble, and the police came round and saw this woman and her son and said, look, gave the account of what's happened, he's going to have to go to court and so on and so forth. And I went through the court processes. And she came and saw me and she said, I no longer believe in God because he didn't stop my son from breaking into a person's house. I was flawed. I was sad for her that what had happened. I was sad for the events that were happening for her son. But she made her faith dependent on her circumstances. God is not looking for a faith that is dependent on circumstances. He's looking for faith in people that operates independent of circumstances. That is really important. Because if we're a people that say, I believe in God because this works well for me, or that doesn't work well for me, that doesn't honor the faith that Jesus has placed in us. When Paul first met the Lord on the road to Damascus, it says in Acts chapter 19, verses 15 and 16, but the Lord said, go for Saul, it's my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles, Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. This is what happens to Paul. He makes three trips into, uh, through Turkey, modern-day Greece, and uh, Italy. He comes back to Jerusalem. There's a riot that breaks out. He finds himself in prison for two years in Caesarea. As a Roman citizen, he appeals to Caesar. So then he is taken over to uh, Rome, and he's in prison for another two years. So he's in prison for four years. He's handcuffed. He's, he's shackled to a guard of the imperial guard in Rome. And scholars estimate that there was over 10,000 of these imperial guards. So he's shackled to them 24 hours a day. Probably they were in four-hour shifts. So there was, you know, um, six different guards each day that Paul was shackled to. And Paul had a desire to go and preach in Rome. It says, for, so for my part, in Romans 1 verse 15, so for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And here's Paul, I could just imagine, wanting this big platform to preach. The Colosseum, which was built in AD 72, it started. Paul was probably thinking, I want to get into the Colosseum and preach the gospel to thousands of people. That's what I want to do. But what does he find himself? He finds himself in prison shackled to guards. But does Paul complain? He goes, this is an awesome opportunity to preach the gospel. And so every guard he is shackled to, 24 hours a day, 
for two years has been preached the gospel. And it says that many in the household of Caesar give their lives to Jesus. There's a bit of a revival going on. Not only does Paul in prison, he doesn't have the opportunity to preach to thousands in the Colosseum, but he's preaching to these guards. He writes four letters. This is one of them. He writes the book of Ephesians. He writes the book of Colossians. And he writes the letter to Philemon. These four letters that have touched the lives of millions and millions of people because he was in prison, because he was suffering for Jesus. Paul's eye was, I want to preach to two or three thousand. God's eye is, I want this message to go to millions and millions of people. This pain of today with what you see, the reward is beyond what you can even imagine. Isn't that awesome? Paul calls that a privilege. He calls it a privilege. You know, suffering is never easy. We can suffer for the cause of the gospel. We can suffer in life because things come across our paths. And the, I guess the greatest illustration of this is the life of Job. And it's really, really interesting when suffering happens, when things go wrong... And I hear this response from people, uh, from Christians in church, and they, they say to me, I need to pray more. I, I need to read my Bible more. I need to do this more. Can I say that's not the answer? That's a moralistic response to suffering. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. God is not looking for that. Then those who don't believe in God is the cynical approach. If, there was, if God was good, then this wouldn't happen. Why does this happen? Or why didn't that happen? Neither of those responses, and there are pat answers, deal with the issue of suffering. And can I encourage you, don't go to either place of them. If you want to ask why, to God ask why. But don't come up with a pat answer that I need to pray more, I need to read more. Somehow God is punishing me because I'm not doing this. It is not true. And equally, the cynicism of God is good, then how would this happen? I could spend a long time talking about that. We don't have the time. We ask the question, why? God asks the question, why won't you trust me? Trust me. There's something on the other side of this that you can't see. Trust me. I'm with you. Trust me. My peace is sufficient. Trust me. I have a greater plan. Trust me. I'm with you. Trust me. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Trust me. That's what the Lord is looking for. Trust me. It's interesting. Uh, this year for Wendy and I has been... I would say our most difficult year ever. Our most difficult year ever. Our grandson was born on the 7th of January, which was wonderful. Absolutely beautiful surprise. And four weeks later, we found that he'd been diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. If you're not sure what that is, it's a genetical disease which is uh, life-threatening. Serious. And so my daughter came around to my house that day, and I'll, I'll never forget this, and she just, with tears streaming down her face, and um, just holding her, just knowing I couldn't fix it. 
It wasn't like she was running on the, the yard and she'd fall over and come to me with tears because she hurt her knees and I could rub it better and give her a kiss on the forehead and say it's all better. I, I couldn't kiss her on the forehead and say it's, it's all gone. Then within 24 hours of that news, there was some other horrific news that we heard. And it's just been a few of those situations. And I remember going to the lake and walking up and down this hill, crying out to God, saying, Lord, I don't know why, but I trust you. I trust you. You're all that I have. I trust you. Help us. I'm holding on to you. The good news is, God is with us. He is with us. I know that. I thank God every day for the little miracles we see in our grandson. I thank God for the little miracles we see in a whole host of other things. I trust God. And I know for others that look into my life, and I don't always realize this, but some people say, thank you for trusting God. It's a testimony of God's grace that we can stand and hold on. That last song, hymn, It Is Well, It Is Well. This man, Horatio Stafford, was on a, a businessman in Chicago and, and he sent his family ahead of him to go to um, England. Some of you may know the story well. And he sends them off and the vessel that they're on crashes into another ship. And um, he gets a message from his wife, saved alone. They had lost their four children. So he quickly gets the next ship to head for England. And over the area where um, the ship went down, where his four daughters were lost, the captain says, this is where the tragedy happens. So he takes his pen, and I can only imagine the pain that he was in and wrote those words, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. He trusted God. It's a privilege to trust God. And at the root of our identity, the Lord is saying, will you trust me? You don't have to have all the answers. We need to learn to live with mystery. But God is saying, trust me. It's a privilege. Trust me. Because there's a second half game that the rewards of our trust are yet to be revealed. And so, church would have been nice to, to bring, a, I guess, a message that was a lot more positive, if you like, a lot more uplifting. But the Apostle Paul says, I want us to think right. I want us to live right. I want us to feel right. I want us to understand how to respond well to when we suffer. And that is understanding that it's a privilege to trust God. Why don't we stand to our feet? Father, I thank you for your word that Lord was penned 
in a prison cell by the Apostle Paul about 2,000 years ago almost. Lord, how he wanted to possibly preach in a big auditorium, a big coliseum, but you had him preaching to prison guards shackled. You had him writing under dim light this letter that, Lord, has gone far beyond what he can think or imagine to touch the lives of millions and millions of people around the globe. And Father, we thank you that, Lord, we don't understand, Lord, what it, uh, all the events that happen in our lives, all the suffering that happens, the suffering ring around the world. But Lord, you give us this invitation to say, trust me. Wherever you are this morning, church, if you want to reaffirm and say, Lord, I've been a little bit wavery, but this morning I want to live for your honor. I want to live and say that I trust you. If that's you this morning while every eye is closed and head is bowed, why don't you raise your hand and say, yes, Lord, I want to live for your honor. I want to live to say I trust you. I want to give my life totally to your cause. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. And so, Father, I thank you that, Lord, as we stand in response to you, I pray that, Lord, you embrace your peace, your grace would be ever upon us. And, Lord, that we can declare, as the Apostle Paul said, as for me, living means living for Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you. Let's give Pastor Ray a round of applause. Awesome message. Well, we're going to sing uh, to close off the service. But just before we do, can I remind you, as a church, we love to be purposed in our giving. So on the way out there is the brown boxes and there's also giving stations. So why don't you uh, just enjoy the afternoon, take someone out for lunch. And a reminder as well, who has not been to a 6 p.m. service this year? It's like some people not wanting to admit. Why don't you come tonight? We've got Peter Height speaking. Uh, he's our young adults leader. He does, he's a fantastic speaker and he'll be great to hear. So why don't you come along tonight? But um, Ben, why don't you finish off with a song? Thank you very much.
There is also prayer down the front if you'd like prayer.